Hello, COV. I am so grateful that you have joined us today. I'm Ruth Zilka, and I just want to say welcome. Welcome to those of you who have been watching our playlist for the past year, and welcome to those of you who are brand new. We are excited that you're here, and we believe that God has a message for our hearts today. We're continuing in our series, In the Beginning, Jesus, as we study through the book of Genesis. Today, we'll be looking at Genesis 6, 9 through 22, as we begin the story of Noah. But before we begin, would you just pause with me for a moment as I pray for us? God, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to open up your word. Father, I pray that you would equip me, that you would speak boldly through me. Lord God, I pray that you would help me to be clear with the things that you have put on my heart and the things that you have taught me as I've studied your word. God, we thank you that your word is alive and true and active. And Father, may it penetrate our hearts deeply today. Father, I pray that you would give me the ability to clearly proclaim the truth of the gospel. I thank you so much for this privilege and the opportunity, and may you get all the glory. In your name I pray, amen. So we're going to jump right in to Genesis 6, verse 9. So grab your Bible, your app, whatever you want to use, and open up with me to Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And this is what it says. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we get some key information within these just two short verses that we've just read. We learn a little bit about Noah's character, and we also learn a little bit about his family. Now, verse 9 tells us that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Now, if we go back several verses, we see the state of mankind during this point in history. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. But Noah was found righteous and blameless among those whose hearts were inclined to evil all the time. Now, this doesn't mean that Noah was perfect and sinless. There was only one man who walked the earth who was perfect and sinless, and that was Jesus. We'll see later on in Noah's story that he messes up. But as verse 5 points to the condition of the human heart, God knew Noah's heart. And Noah was found righteous and blameless among the people of his time. Noah walked faithfully with God. Not perfectly, but faithfully. And this is what we are called to do as well, to walk faithfully with our God we will never walk perfectly because we are sinful human beings, but we can walk faithfully. And it's not about perfection. Instead, it is about the pursuit of the perfect one. 
Faith is a gift from God. And we can only be faithful because he was, is, and always will be faithful. Noah's character stood out among the evil and the sin of his day. He walked faithfully with God. And as we'll see in a few verses, because of his faith, his entire family was saved. Genesis 6, 11 through 12 say, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So in summary, things aren't great. God is deeply troubled by the state of mankind on the earth. Genesis 6, 6 says, the Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. God's heart was grieved over the sin of humanity. He was deeply troubled and sorrowful over how his creation had responded to sin. And as we keep studying Genesis, one of the questions that I have been asking myself throughout this whole time that we have been studying, as we've been looking through the book, I keep asking myself this, am I grieved over my sin? Does my sin really break my heart? Does it make me feel deeply troubled? Now, if I'm being honest, no. It doesn't always make me feel that way. Especially if there aren't super horrific, embarrassing, or public consequences to my sin. Too often, we can allow sin to go unchecked because we can hide it well enough from the world around us, or we can justify it away. This is why accountability is so important. This is why we need each other. This is why we need to do life together, to be vulnerable with one another, and to ask those around us those tough questions. I have seen this in my life many times. I have had to put myself out there so that family and friends could speak truth into my life as I honestly shared about my struggles with sin. For many years, I really struggled with fear. Fearful thoughts would consume my mind and cause me such anxiety. And this struggle began to even have some physical effects on my body. And for a long time, I sat alone in this struggle. I allowed the dialogue to continue in my head. The enemy works in isolation, and I was isolating myself by not allowing others in. But once I opened up to my family and to my close friends, God used them to point me to truth. To help me see that at the root of this fear was a lack of trust and ultimately the sin of control. I wanted to be in control. I struggled to trust and my mind had gotten so wrapped up in believing these lies that I was blind to see how fear and worry had hindered my ability to hear the still soft voice of my God. 
But God used the body of Christ to point me to the truth that we do not serve a God of fear, but rather we serve a God who is to be feared and who brings peace. As I was working on this sermon, I couldn't help but pause and praise God for giving me the strength to overcome this sin in my life and for the ways that he used others to point me to the truth that Paul writes about in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. What an encouragement. My mind is no longer consumed on a daily basis with fearful thoughts, and that is all God, and it is not me. So I would encourage you, if you do not have accountability built into your life, make that happen. Find a trusted friend who will ask you the really hard questions and that you can be honest with and who can point you to the truth in love. Get involved in a discipleship relationship. Join a community group. Just be willing to put yourself out there because we need it. And we also need to beg the Lord to convict our hearts of the sin that we can so easily ignore. We need to sit quietly before the Lord and ask him to reveal the sin in our hearts. Because as Karen said several weeks ago, unchecked sin always escalates. Unchecked sin doesn't magically go away. Unchecked sin just becomes less egregious, atrocious, or shocking to us the longer that we sit in it. It's like a little kid with chocolate around the rims of their lips, denying to their parents they just ate candy before dinner. Now, this child can try to ignore their actions or even deny their actions, But it doesn't make their stomach any less full of candy instead of a healthy dinner. Okay, so let's recap where we've been so far. Noah was found righteous and blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. He had three sons. And things on the earth are not good. So let's see how this story continues to unfold in verse 13. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. God is beginning to pull Noah into the details of his plan. God is so grieved by the actions and the lives of humans that he is going to put an end to all people. I wonder how it must have felt 
like, or what it must have felt like for Noah to get this news from God. Was his response fear, awe, perhaps even some relief that evil, evil was going to be wiped out? We don't know. And honestly, it, it's not the point. The point is that God had a plan and Noah was going to be part of this plan. Even from the start of this detailed plan God was about to lay out, Noah had to choose to trust and to not only trust, but to obey. Things had gotten so bad that God knew he needed to take drastic measures, but God had a plan for Noah and for Noah's family. Let's keep reading in verse 14. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Okay, talk about the world's best blueprints. These are blueprints from God himself. And God doesn't just tell Noah he's going to put an end to all people and then be like, oh, side note, you might want to build yourself a giant boat in the middle of the desert for you, your family, and two of every kind of animal that walks on the ground because it's going to rain a lot. Good luck. No, God gives Noah details. He provides measurements and even includes information about using pitch because God knew this was needed for waterproofing. God was equipping Noah with the head knowledge to do what he was asking of him. God was asking Noah to do something huge, like literally, literally huge. He was calling Noah to build a giant boat the length of one and a half football fields and as high as a four-story building. That's pretty incredible. But beyond the vastness of this physical job God was calling Noah to, he was also calling him to trust, obey, and obey by building this ark probably miles away from any body of water without any rain in sight. So let's keep reading God's instructions to Noah in verse 17. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath, the breath of life in it, everything on the earth will perish. But here comes the hope for Noah in verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. God promises to establish his covenant with Noah. He is promising to save Noah and his family. Because Noah was found righteous, his family line was saved. His bloodline was saved. God did choose to save some. And he provided a way out for Noah by saving his physical life and his family's physical life on the ark. But later on, God would send something far better than an ark. He would send his one and only son to save us. 
Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us, we have a new covenant established with God. We have have personal access to the God most high, creator, Abba, Father, the beginning and the end. Through Jesus' perfect life, his horrific death, and his miraculous resurrection, we are given the opportunity to have a personal relationship with the God most high. Jesus completes the old covenant God made with the people of Israel after their exodus from Egypt. Hebrews 9, 11 through 15 just helps explain this great. So I'm going to read it to us. It says this, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Because of Jesus, we are set free from the bondage of sin. We are set free from dependence upon the blood of animals to ceremonially clean us from sin. We are set free free. Because of Jesus, we can all personally approach God the Father and have a personal relationship with him for all eternity. Jesus's blood shed for us washes us clean. His blood allows us to stand righteous before God the Father. God knew Noah would need the ark to be physically saved. But God also knew all of humanity would need something far better than a boat. We would need a savior. We would need Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday, a day where Christians traditionally pause to remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a colt, fulfilling the prophecy we read about in Zechariah 9.9. We can read about this account in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But as I was studying the story in the different Gospels this week, Luke's account really stood out to me. In Luke 19, 28 through 44, we read about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the colt. And on his way to the city, he sends two disciples ahead of him to acquire the donkey for him to ride. Now they put their cloaks on the colt, 
and they put Jesus on it. And as he's on his way, people spread their cloaks on the road as they praise God in loud voices saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The other gospel accounts also add the word Hosanna, which means save. Save now or save, we pray to this moment that people are witnessing scripture being fulfilled. Then some of the Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke the crowd for their praise. And his reply is incredible. He says this to them, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus is telling them that even if these people are silenced, that creation will still cry out praise. We hit verse 41, and it it takes a, a bit of a turn in tone. And this is what it says. As he approached Jerusalem, this is Jesus we're talking about, he and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone untrue and on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus weeps over the fact that people are missing what is right in front of them. Him, the Savior of the world, God's one and only Son sent to seek and seek and save the lost. He weeps over the fact that they did not recognize God's coming. God with skin on, Jesus himself, they missed it. And Jesus is sorrowful, not over his impending death, but over their rejection of him as Savior as he predicts the destruction that would happen to Jerusalem about 40 years later. God was heavy-hearted over the state of humans in Noah's time. And we see here that Jesus was grieved over sin as well. Nothing is new under the sun. We as humans are sinful by nature, but God, but God provided a way for us to break free from the bondage of sin through his son. And this is what we're going to get to celebrate next Sunday, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's finish up our portion of Noah's story for today in Genesis 6. And we're going to start back in verse 19. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. 
Now talk about preparation. I mean, we, we thought we had it bad this year, trying to make sure that we had enough toilet paper. Noah had to prep for every animal and his family and himself and keep them all alive. No pressure. But look how the story, this portion of the story ends in verse 22. I love this. It says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Plain and simple. Noah obeyed. He did everything just as God commanded him. Just as Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, giving up his life in our place, dying the death that we deserved and defeating death by rising again. Noah did everything just as God commanded. Is this our response? Are we being obedient to every command? Perhaps you're wondering, well, what commands? God's not giving us blueprints for an ark, so what are we supposed to do? <laughs> Scripture clearly defines how we are to live as followers of Christ. We have to know this book. We have to love this book, to soak in the truth on every single page of this book because the Godhead three in one wrote this book through the hands of obedient men to point us to himself. It provides the details so we don't have to guess and it shows us how to live. And this, this is part of the reason why personal studies of God's word is vital to our relationship with him. We cannot just rely on what we learn every Sunday at church. Our relationship with God is personal. So we need to spend time personally with him, reading his word, studying, and spurring one another on. We need to know the truth inside and out so we can recognize sin in our lives and see why repentance is so important. We need to know the truth so we can walk faithfully with our God. We need to know the truth so we can apply it, live it out, and point others to it. Sometimes God will ask us to, to do some big, huge things. Those arc building moments, if you will, of our lives. And you know what will give us the strength to do so? Faithfully walking with the Lord. Because when we walk faithfully with him, we can look back at the times in our lives when we saw him be faithful in the past and we can trust that he will be faithful in the future. As I look back on my life, I can see different times where God was calling me to do something that felt big. In recent years, it was God calling my husband Kyle and I to step out in faith and leave a church home that we had known for, for Kyle for all of his life and for me most of my life. Throughout this entire situation, God was always so faithful to lead us to use others in our lives to encourage us 
And even though we started this journey not united in what we wanted to do or what we felt like God was calling us to do, God worked to unite us in the decision. I watched God use Kyle to boldly lead our family as Kyle patiently waited for me to stop digging in my heels and to be willing to step out in faith to where God was calling. Now this required a lot of prayer, a lot of seeking God's will, and he was so gracious to us. He was gracious to use his word, his people, his spirit, and to answer and to use answered prayer to lead us and really to change my heart. And man, am I so thankful that I trusted, that we trusted God's faithfulness and his leading and were willing to do and be obedient to what he was calling us to do because it brought us here to COV. And I am so in awe at how God has grown my entire family through the ministry of our church. It's truly such a blessing. It's about pursuit of the perfect one, reflecting his character and pointing others to him. It is not about ourselves because it's never about us. It is always, has always, will always be about him, not us. Kyle and I stepping out in faith had nothing to do with us. We wanted to bring God the glory, and it was about how he grew us and shaped us and formed us and led us in the midst of that situation as we were pursuing what he wanted from us. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones sums up the story of Noah in the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you've never read this book, I would highly recommend it. A lot of times it makes me cry. Uh, but it's, it's beautifully written. It's a children's book, but I think it's for all of us. But this is how she sums up a portion of the story of Noah. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. The rescuer was sent on our behalf to save us, to take our rightful place, and to die the death that we deserved. As we enter into Holy Week, and we look forward to celebrating Easter next Sunday, let us not forget the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. How God sent his son for you and for me. While we will sit in the sorrow on Friday, this next week, let us not forget that Sunday is coming and death was defeated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, 
Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, taking the, our place, dying the death that we deserve, and offering us forgiveness of sin and eternal life with you, a personal relationship with the God Most High. Father, we thank you for the example of Noah and his obedience and willingness to do everything just as you had commanded. He walked faithfully with you, not perfectly, but faithfully. And Lord God, may we also walk faithfully with you. We thank you again for this time. In your name I pray, amen.